You're listening to Real Paranormal Talk with Jeff Trelowitz, part of CKCC Radio. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Podbean. And now your host, Jeff Trelowitz. Welcome back to episode 106 of Real Paranormal Talk here on CKCC Radio. Now, it's been a while since I've been able to say this, but I have a very special interview for you today. My last interview was all the way back in 2020 for episode 21 and episode 22 with Ghost Hunters Dustin Perry. This time, I'm joined by Joe Frankie. He is the chairman of the board and chief investigator officer for the Warren Legacy Foundation. Joe is a veteran of the paranormal world. Not only is he an accomplished investigator, he's also a seasoned researcher, demonologist, consultant, and lecturer with more than 36 years of experience to his credit. For more than three decades, Joe prepared under the expert tutelage of his beloved friends and mentors, Ed and Lorraine Warren, cultivating his knowledge of the occult and honing his skills as a researcher and demonologist. In his 36 years spent devoted to helping to protect families as they struggle to combat and overcome their paranormal afflictions. Please welcome to Real Paranormal Talk, Mr. Joe Frankie. And welcome back to episode number 106 of Real Paranormal Talk here on CKCC Radio. Now, it's been a while since I've been able to say this, but I have a very special interview for you today. My last interview was all the way back in 2020 for episode 21 and 22. I'm joined today by Joe Frankie. He is the chairman of the board and chief investigator officer for the Warren Legacy Foundation. He is a veteran in the paranormal world. Not only is he an accomplished investigator, he's also a seasoned researcher, demonologist, consultant, and lecturer with more than 36 years of experience to his credit. For more than three decades, Joe prepared under the expert tutelage of his beloved friends and mentors, Ed and Lorraine Warren, cultivating his knowledge of the occult and honing his skills as a researcher and demonologist. In his 36 years spent devoted to helping to protect families as they struggle to combat and overcome their paranormal afflictions. Please welcome to Real Paranormal Talk, Mr. Joe Frankie. Well, thank you, Jeff. That was very kind. Thank you for joining me here today. Tell us a little bit about the Warren Legacy Foundation. Well, the Warren Legacy Foundation was founded shortly before Lorraine passed away by... uh, uh, her grandson, my good friend Chris McKinnell, and uh, and Lorraine. Uh, it, was, it was just after the first Conjuring movie came out, I believe, in 2014. Uh, it's basically made up of a diverse group of professional people uh, from all walks of life um, that are, you know, dedicated to the common goal of helping people with uh, paranormal afflictions, whether they have one or not. Uh, you know, um, our services are always free of charge. We have regional directors and members uh, scattered all over the globe, really. Uh, so this is a, a global and worldwide network, which is still growing. We've got a hundred and well, about 120 members, I guess, which, and the grand scheme of things is not, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot we're covering the, the world, but like I said, we're, we're, we're growing every day. We're open for, for membership if anyone can apply. Um, and uh, it's uh, there's a, there's a process to it. The regional director for the area where you live, the geographical area, will, will set up an interview and, and go from there. But there's nurses, so lawyers, financial people, professional people. So not everyone necessarily has to have paranormal experience. Uh, I am myself, I, I consider myself a field soldier. 
you know, I'm not a big tech guy. I'm not, not, not really big with TikTok or, or uh, uh, YouTube, anything like that. I don't have a YouTube channel. I just have a personal Facebook page. I'm working on it, though. I have adult children that are trying to help me with that stuff. But, uh, you know, like I said, if people in need of, uh, of our help uh, can reach out, and that case will get assigned to the regional director of that area. My job as the CIO basically is if the regional directors in those, in any areas, my help, uh, you know, I'm there for them. Uh, Chris and I, uh, I'm just more of a figurehead now. I'm, I'm an old guy now. I started when I was 18, you know, that was almost 40 years ago. You know, um, I deal a lot with the negative cases. And if they are demonic in nature, uh, I would get involved and uh, you know, basically you know, get, get a member of the clergy involved as necessary um, of the person's particular faith. Uh, so, uh, we, and we deal with people of all faith. We deal with people with no faith. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy. It, you know, it's not like I'm going to show up with a proton pack on my back. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people say, Joe, I need you to come over here and get rid of this. I said, well, no. I said, that's not how it works. I said, I'll come over there and support you and guide you and, and have you back. Uh, you know, and, and, but you're going to get rid of it. Uh, this is your home. This is your family. And this is your place of business. Um, and this is your life. You need to take it back. But, uh, Fortunately, um, you know, cases like that are extremely rare. Demonic cases are very rare, and possession cases are rarer still. Uh, however, do exist, and um, I have been, I have been involved in, in you know a good half a dozen or so in my in my uh, lifetime. Now, at the seminar when I first met you back in October, you told the story about how you first met Ed and Lorraine Warren. Could you please tell that again? Because it's amusing. Oh, sure, sure. So, um, go, go back to 1986. Uh, if you remember from my slide presentation, I showed a picture of myself, my high school picture. Um, but I, and, I, and the reason I did that is to show people, this is what I looked like when I met them. I was fresh out of high school. Uh, I was just newly dating my wife, and we've been married 32 years now. Um, and she saw in the local newspaper that um, the Warrens were going to be lecturing in North Haven. It was at the, um, I think it was the Holiday Inn at that time. So the Best Western, I was at 12, up in 91. And she's, she said, well, you know, rather than going to the movies on a Friday night, or, yeah, you want to go to this lecture, see the Warrens. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I had always heard of the Warrens. I had seen them on television, I'd heard them on the radio, so, you know, print media. So it was very exciting. And uh, I later on found out that I believe I was destined to go there. So we walk in the door, and Lorraine was sitting up at a, at a table, and uh, I think she was standing. And, and you know, I walked up to her, and she kind of looked at me funny. She she had that look on her face, you know, like that you get when you like, I know this person. I know I know them from. I know I've seen them before. And she kind of cocks her head to one side. She says, "Honey, have we met before?" You know, Lorraine was a sweetheart. She called everybody funny. You know, didn't have a mean spirit in bone in her body. And I said, no, Lorraine, I've heard a lot about you. I said, I'm kind of excited to be here. Uh, I said, but no, I've never, never had the pleasure of meeting you. And she's looking at me, and I didn't know what she was doing at the time. Uh, she told me later. But she said, you know, honey, I can tell there's a reason why you're here tonight. 
like, would you like to, uh, no, she said, make sure you come and see Ed and I after the show. So I was all excited. I couldn't keep a thought in my head as I'm sitting there watching the presentation. You know, so the presentation ends and Lorraine, as sweet as she was, is always, you know, answering everyone's questions. You know, like I try to do. I don't try to hurt anybody out of there. I'm usually getting the shepherd's hook by the people, you know, that want to go home. Um, but she's answering questions and Ed's packing up and he's like, come on, Lorraine, let's go. We got to get out of here. I'm hungry. You know? And uh, every every time after we finished a case or a lecture, um, what we used to do is go out to a diner. We'd always find a diner somewhere. And that's where we would, um, you know, decompress and talk about the case or in this case, how the lecture went. And so we're sitting there in the diner and Lorraine's sitting across from me. And... Um, She's looking at me, she's holding my hands, and she, what she was doing was she was reading my aura. You know, Lorraine had the gift of, um, of reading auras, and she could see the auras that, you know, we have, so like that supernatural glow that surrounds all of us. And she said, honey, I can tell by your aura that you were meant to do this work. She's like, would you like to come and work with Ed and I, and, you know, basically become one of our students? And um, I, I was very excited. I don't think I hesitated to skip a beat to say, of course, yes, I would love that. And, you know, the rest, as they say, you know, is history. You know, here I am, an 18-year-old kid fresh out of high school, don't know my, you know, my, you know what, from my elbow. And, um, and I was chosen, you know, by them to come and work with them. And, uh, you know, that's when I, I started to learn firsthand about the, the more iconic cases that, you know, you and your listeners probably have all heard of, like the Amityville House and the Annabelle Doll, and of course, all the cases that the Conjuring movies are based on. You know, the real story behind it, not, not the Hollywood version. So that's that's how it all started, just a chance meeting at one of their lectures, and here I am almost 40 years later now, you know, coming full circle, and I, I lecture now myself. I've been lecturing for 25 years. Oh, and don't worry, we're going to tackle some of those famous cases in just a few minutes. <laughs> now, when they first asked you to join them, did you actually believe, like, this is, how is this happening to a guy like me? Because I would just doubt everything. That's just the way I am. Well, I mean, I, I didn't doubt it because, you know, I was with them. They invited me, you know, back, uh, Laurel and I, my, my, my wife, who was just my girlfriend at the time. I just, uh, yeah, I guess I was stunned. I, I, I was like, well, why choose me? You know, but she, she explained to me pretty well. She's like, you know, your aura suggests that you were chosen to do this work. Um, and I, I didn't, you know, didn't know anything about it. I uh, never had worked on a case, never had dealt with ghosts or hauntings. But I was fascinated by it, much like many of the people that come to to my shows. They're... I've had a lot of people say to me, geez, Joe, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you do and I'm intrigued, but I never want to you know, be involved myself because it scares me too much. <laughs> and I said, well, it's not for everybody. It, it's it's not for everybody. It's uh, it, I guess you, you, you really do have to be chosen. And as I tell my audiences, I said, this is not an occupation for me. This was a vocation, you know, a calling. And, uh, you know, I certainly, you know, we don't charge anything to help people. You know, we're working on cases. Those are all done free of charge. You know, the Warrens always made their money from their lecturing and their books and things like that. Uh, you know, and then when I do my lectures, I get paid a speaker's fee. 
sometimes, sometimes when I do the libraries and they don't have it in their budget, I'm like, no problem, I'll come out and talk to your folks anyway, because I enjoy it so much. You know, I love to share my experiences, and I also love to educate. I, I consider it, listen, I'll educate anyone who wants to listen on how I learned. Now, that doesn't mean that I know everything. I certainly don't profess to know everything. This has been a learning experience, but there's nobody out there today that knows everything. You know, uh, I learn more and more every day, and unfortunately, my mentors are past now. You know, there's, there's sometimes I'll get a, a tough case, and I'm, I've got questions, so I can turn internally to our group of people within foundation. We've got a lot of knowledgeable people, some people that have been doing this for 30 plus years also. You know, I was one of the lucky ones that had had the Warrens as my mentors. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's rewarding. Uh, I, I tell people, look, there's, there's no money in it, but what you get out of this is immeasurable as far as, you know, looking in the face of a family or a person that's relieved that, you know, they don't have this affliction anymore, whether it was real or not. You know, um, a lot of this stuff is psychosomatic. People watch a lot of TV. They watch a lot of movies. Uh, they go out to cemeteries looking for God knows what, because there's no spirits out there hanging around in cemeteries. But they can be conjured if you're not careful. So that's why you shouldn't be using Ouija boards and things like that. But we, we can get more into that later if you like. Of course. Now, what were Ed and Lorraine really like? Were their public personas different from their private ones? You know, it's a good question. Not really. I mean, I I looked at them as grandparents. That That's how I described them. The Warrens were like grandparents to me. Um, now, ironically, I'm about the same age now as the Warrens were when I met them. A couple of years younger. They were about 58, 59 years old. Uh, I just turned 56 this past week, so I'm about the same age now, so it's almost like it's come full circle. But as people, I knew them more as people. I didn't look at them as, wow, this is the world famous Warrens. I did when I first met them. But as I become to know them and spend a lot of time with them at their home and, and Ed with him and in the museum and in his office, um, they were just, they're just people, very kind-hearted um, that basically took me under their wing and, and taught me about everything they know and uh so no i mean in publicly uh they they were the same people just you know very nice genuine uh you know i don't want to say elderly because <laughs> i'm at that age right now <laughs> but um like i said lorraine called everybody honey she was a sweetheart she would stay and make sure everyone's questions were answered you know ed ed was a great guy he was a little gruff sometimes but always kind to me He'd call me up on a Saturday or a Sunday. Hey, kid. I always called me kid. Hey, kid, what are you doing? Uh, I said, oh, nothing much. What, what do you need? He'd say, come on down to the to meet me in the in the uh, in my office, which is right outside the museum. A room, there's a little room off of the museum. And he's like, I want to show you some stuff. And I'd go down there and I'd sit with him for for hours. And he would play audio tapes and show me videotapes of pick cases like Amityville. I think Amityville is one of the first cases I learned about. And the Enfield poltergeist. And I, I'm referring to Enfield, England, not Enfield, Connecticut. And that's how I learned. And I, I would sit there and have goosebumps, and the hair would be standing up on my body. You know, because I was, people were like, well, were you afraid? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, of course I was. I was an 18 year old teenager and, you know, scared out of my mind, but I was more intrigued than frightened. 
And as the years progressed, and as I, I worked on case after case after case, the fear goes away. You know, now, uh, now I'm an old guy. You know, one of my famous sayings is, you know, uh, faith and fear do not coexist. If you have faith, um, there, there is no fear. You know, um, so no, I, I'm not afraid. I'm apprehensive when I go in a case. I don't know what I'm going to be faced with. Is this going to be nothing? Is it going to be grandma coming for a visit? Or is it going to be Lucifer himself? Who knows? <laughs> but you just, you, you need to be prepared. And and when I try to teach people, whether they be people on the outside or people within our organization, I said, you have to be prepared for all scenarios. You know, and that's one thing I find in this field today. Uh, now you have the internet and social media and all that stuff. We didn't have that back in 1986. Uh, when I started, now you've got you know every you Google uh, paranormal or Ghostbuster and you know thousands of websites pop up or Facebook social media pages, YouTube sites, and that's all fine and dandy. But you know it's uh, it, it, you know people that get into the private homes uh, of people that reach out to them for help. You know, knowing deep down that if they run into holy, you know, you know what, they're not going to be able to help them. Yeah. I've gotten many cases where I've been contacted by either the, the client or the group themselves and say, you know, geez, Joe, we tried to help this family and we're in way over our heads. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what to do. And I'll say, well, okay, I'll work with you because, you know, you've been there. You, if you've got any video or audio evidence or anything like that. And let's see what we can do for these folks. Um, it's the groups out there that are too vain to admit that they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, I would reach out to some of those groups and they'd say, well, this is our case. I'm not sharing that information. And I'd go, why? I said, I'm just trying to help this family, which you clearly could not. But I would like to know what you know. It's, it's, it's rare. It's rare. You know, most people are like, Joe, I appreciate the help. But you get people out there, it's like, you know, they're very... Um, uh, very protective and say, well, this is our case. I'm like, well, if, if you are not prepared to help these folks, then you should probably take your website down and remove your social media pages. But, but they don't. You know, they'll just ghost, in, for lack of a better term, and pardon the pun, they'll ghost them. They won't contact the people. I've had people say, geez, you know, this group came in here, ABC Paranormal, and something spooked them, and they, they ran out of the house. They couldn't get out of here fast enough, and I haven't heard from them in weeks. They won't return my phone calls or my emails. You know, so it's like you have to start all over again. Um, it, it, it does happen, unfortunately. But, um, you know, usually the groups are, are happy to take the help. And, like, Joe, we just want to see these people get the help they need. You know, uh, but very, very small percentage of the time is there, do they have a, a paranormal problem. But, you know, if you look on YouTube, everything is a demon. Yep, oh, of course. Everything is a demon. Because, you know, it, it hits the algorithms, I guess. I don't know how that works. Like I said, I'm not a tech guy, but I'm smart enough to know that if you put certain, you know, certain words uh, uh, in your title, it's going to you know, move to the top of the list, you know, and you're going to get more views and get more likes. And, and then people monetize that and they make money off of it. And that's not something I do, you know. That's not... I'm old school. I'm, I was never in it for the money. My wife could tell you I'm probably dead up to my ears, you know, for helping people. But like I said, what I get out of this, what I get back, you can't measure in, in money. In, 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 
and that may be rare these days because you know, look what these people are doing may not be illegal but it's highly immoral in my yeah. opinion that's not something I subscribe to now you mentioned Annabelle were you ever nervous to be around the doll or even hold it with all the stories in the beginning yes because you know like everyone else I heard the stories and, and doll and what happened with the doll I mean I know the true story uh, the backstory of the doll and I've held the doll on occasion uh, probably two or three times in the presence of everyone you know I you know I remember he had the case open one day when I was with him he was like hey you want to hold her you know he's like just just be careful be respectful you know I'm, yeah I was scared but I wasn't you know, I wasn't too scared to say no I don't want to touch it you know I picked it up I held it I looked at it and I put it back down you know, uh, I didn't hug it. I didn't taunt it. You know, I didn't conjure anything. You know, in my humble opinion today, I don't think there's anything attached to the doll anymore. It's been 50 years, uh, 50 plus years. I think that case was 1970, 69, 70. I was like two years old, you know. Um, but I don't believe there's anything attached to the doll anymore. Uh, I could be wrong, but I haven't been around the doll since Lorraine passed away. I haven't been to the home or to the museum, uh, which is now owned by the family. But no one, I don't think anyone lives in the house right now, but the museum is still there. It's, it's highly protected. There's a lot of security. Um, but they don't do any public shows from the, from the museum anymore because of the, the location of the house is on a dead-end, quiet dead-end street. And um, I don't think they're allowed to have a lot of cars. Yeah, you had said that because of all the traffic in the area, it caused a little bit of an issue with the neighbors. Yeah, unfortunately. But um, I do believe the family lets in um, uh, those private tours from time to time. You know, so if you get a, you know, a couple of cars coming to drive me, that's fine. But they'd be, they, they would have um, you know, 100 people or so at the house, and you got you know, 30 cars or so on the street. You come home from a hard day at work and you can't get in your driveway. <laughs> you know, anybody would be upset about that. But yeah. So unfortunately, the town came down and said that you can't do this anymore. So um, now I believe they have uh, events where they bring some of the items from the museum to the public, uh, which uh, is can be dangerous. I don't agree with it, to be honest with you. Because on more than one occasion, Ed Warren said to me, Joe, these items will never leave this museum. You know, they're, they're here, they're protected here, they're to stay here. But uh, I have no control over that. It's none of my business what's done with the items now. But uh, I don't agree with it. I certainly wouldn't do it. No. Now, you had mentioned the Amityville house and the Conjuring house, and you had said that you yeah. had spoken to Ed about those locations. Have you ever actually investigated either location? Amityville, No. Uh, Amityville, like, again, 1974 were the murders, 75 was when the Lutz family bought the house, and they're only there for 28 days, but I've been by it, I've been outside of it, I've never been inside it, because the, the house has been lived in by families since then, and a lot of people say, well, you know, how come, you know, how come these families didn't have any problem, they didn't experience anything, or whatever, well, Maybe they did and they're not reporting it, but I believe, and this is just my personal belief, based on what I've learned over the years, is I believe the Lutz family was targeted. You know, people could be targeted, a person mm -hmm. could be targeted, a home, a car, 
an object, you know, like Annabelle. I mean, can have attachments. They're not human attachments, but they can, you know. So I believe the Lutz family was targeted, and you know, maybe the next family that moved in, you know, year, years later or whatever, didn't have any problems. I don't know. I, I wasn't that close to the case. Uh, now the Conjuring House, as they refer to the farmhouse in Rhode Island, I've been to. Uh, I think I've been there two, maybe three times, and, and most recently was to over 20 years ago, uh, when the Suckless used to live there. I, believe. Uh, I didn't have any personal experiences there, to be honest with you. I didn't get any audio, video, or photographic evidence, uh, anything out of the ordinary. I'm not saying that there, there wasn't anything there. I'm just saying that I didn't get anything to support uh, those theories. Um, now it's just turned into a circus where, you know, the last couple of owners of the house have turned it into almost a museum where they actually charge your would-be investigators or your YouTubers or your urban explorers, whatever you want to call yourselves. Uh, they charge them quite a pretty penny to spend time in the home. And uh, from what I understand, it costs quite a bit if you're going to use the material for your YouTube channel. So... Again, like I said, it's, it's, it's not against the law, yay, capitalism, right? But I, morally, I think it's wrong. You know, I think that they got the story wrong about some of the um, the spirits there, uh, like Bathsheba. She gets a bad rap. From what I've researched, Bathsheba was a kind woman that lived in the area. Um, and I think that was just a story that's just been passed down through the ages, that this woman was a witch. You know, I, I don't know for sure, but from what I've read, she was a very nice woman and she used to watch her neighbor's children. She was a very uh, trusted woman uh, with children. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of look at these things and shake my head and say, you know, that's just, it's not what I'm about. I'm here only to help people and educate people. And that message has never changed. You know, I don't get involved. I get people ask me all the time, well, what's your opinion on this or that? I'm careful what I say publicly because I don't want any backlash. You know, to my knowledge, I've got a pretty stellar reputation. I would never say a bad word about anybody, but behind the scenes, I might just be shaking my head saying, oh gosh, <laughs> you know. Um, but yes, to answer your question, that was the long version. I, I have been to the farmhouse, but it, it, it was well over 20 years ago. Uh, and I've never been inside the Emmyville house. Um, but I, I'd go there in a heartbeat. Wouldn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, Discovery Plus did a documentary back in 2020 about Ed and Lorraine called The Devil's Road. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did. Uh, I'm trying to remember it. I was actually supposed to be part of that. Um, uh, I remember they asked, they called me, the, the producers called me and they wanted to interview me for it because I had worked with it for so many years. And for some reason, I got cut out at the end. I guess they said they had too many people, but uh, I believe there were some other motives there, but again, I won't, I won't speculate. Uh, but yeah, I saw it. I didn't agree with parts, some parts of it. Um, there's a lot of rumors, I should say, uh, out on social media. Uh, some of it gets back to me. A lot of it gets back to me, actually. Uh, about the Warrens. Most of it's favorable, some of it's not. Some people speak uh, ill of the Warrens. And it, what I tell people is, look, if you don't agree with the Warrens or their methods, or, you know, or the fact that they're a Roman Catholic, 
I said, that's fine. We can just agree to disagree and we can still be friends. But there's a lot of people out there that are haters. And they'll, they'll speak ill about, you know, two wonderful people that I knew. And the people that are talking bad about them are people that never met them. Yeah, I was going to say they, that they that's, that's the big difference. I did and my wife did. Yeah. You know, and that hurts us. That hurts us deeply. And, you know, I and then I get upset. And I'm like, well, you know, you're wrong. And I've, I've given people my personal phone number. So if you have a problem with the Warrens and you want to know about them, I would be happy to sit down and talk to you about it. Just give me a call. I've yet to have anybody take me up on that. You know, I, I, I'll tell you anything you want to know uh, within reason um, without getting too personal. But these folks are, they're gone now. They're both passed away. And, um, you know, they, they're not here to defend themselves. So, you know, the, the people that I've heard, you know, mention things on social media some of them aren't even in this country. One guy's actually from New Zealand, and he's pretty vocal about his, his uh, dislike for the Warrens and being kind. And um, I actually sent this gentleman a message, private message through Facebook, and I said, listen, um, so-and-so, this is my phone number, my email address. I'd be happy to talk to you and answer questions about the Warrens as people. I said, but you are dead wrong in what you posted. And I said, I wish... And I'm asking you nicely to take it down, you know, uh, and uh, I don't think he did. But, you know, I'm not going to start a fight with someone on social media. I'm not, I don't do that. I don't get in, I don't get in arguments with people. Nobody wins those arguments, even if you're wrong. You know? I mean, if you're right, rather, you're wrong. Um, but I said, look, I knew these people from you know, my teenage years to when they both passed away. And they were good people. They had very kind hearts. They went out of their way to help people um, at their own expense. I remember Ed had his first heart attack during the Maurice Thuriel exorcism uh, in the 80s uh, uh, from Massachusetts. You know, so they put themselves at personal risk, as I have, you know, through the years, to help others. You know, so to speak ill about anyone is wrong, but to speak ill about someone that's, that's no longer with us is, is a disgrace in my and like you said, like they don't even know they've never met Ed or Lorraine, so they're just going off something else that somebody else had told them, which is probably not even true. And yeah. they're just well, you know, Jeff, have you ever told someone a story, and then it goes around the horn, and it goes through about ten people, and then it comes back to you? Yep. Oh, of course. Like, well, that, it didn't really happen that way. Everybody has their little seasoning and flavoring that they put on the story. You know, so I mean that happens. That's human nature. Yep. I mean, we've all done it. I'm sure, not intentionally, but but to speak ill of someone you've never met, and and just because you might have read something that somebody wrote 10, 12 years ago, and you know somebody that knew somebody that brother's cousin's sister <laughs> uh, met the Warrens once at a lecture, you know, it's like why do people have to spread vicious rumors? There's just no reason. For that other than jealousy and hatred you know uh, i don't subscribe to any of that it's hard for me sometimes to keep my mouth shut you know um that's why if i do hear something or something gets back to me i'll try to find the source of that and reach out to them privately through a private back channel somehow and 
know, I think I've only had one or two people I've talked to, and, and, and they changed their they changed their tune after I, 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 you know, educated them on the true people, the people that I knew. You know, uh, now did I know everything about them? No, no one can know everything. You know, but I've even I'm very good friends with the family, their grandson, their nephew John Zappas. Maybe you've heard his name. Of course, John's been a friend of mine for forty years. You know, and I'll confer with them and say, like, hey, you know, I heard this uh, about Ed uh, and or Lorraine. I said, did you ever hear this? No, Joe, that's BS. That's not true. That never happened. I said, well, I figured that, but I just figured, you know, if I don't know, you might know something, and you didn't certainly tell me. Um, so I, I try to defend their name. There, there's far more people out there that love them. You know, I, I just came back from Megacon down in Orlando. My wife and I were down there for, it was a four-day event. I had never been to such, it, it was a Comic-Con. We are the only paranormal group there. Um, but there was about, I don't know, 200 plus thousand people that went through that place between Thursday and Sunday. And I literally, Jeff, I, I literally lost my voice from talking so much. <laughs> As you know, I don't shut up, right? <laughs> You know, but the people that come up in the love and support for the foundation and for the Warrens and the Warren name, I, I didn't hear one person um, at that event speak ill about them at all. Uh, they're just like, oh, I never got to meet them. I heard they were wonderful people. And I said, well, they were. You know, they were wonderful people. You know, did, did I agree with everything that, that they did? Maybe not. But, you know, I'm not going to say that publicly. Yeah. You know, there may be things that I disagreed with or whatever, things that I was privy to. I was standing right next to him or something. You know, I, I, you know, I might have had a different version of it, but, you know, uh, that happens. You know, we, we don't all agree with each other all the time. But, you know, we, we still, at the end of the day, we still like each other. We're still friends. Now, you had mentioned at the uh, presentation back in October that you had actually been approached to be on the original Ghost Hunter show on Sci-Fi. Why did you turn it down? Yeah, well, back in 2002, 2003, I, and if I looked hard enough, I could probably still find the email. The company was called Pilgrim Films. Um, and at the time, my friend and I, I I'm also co-founder of the Connecticut Paranormal Research Society, which is still... A viable group it's just my friend Orlando and I that, that run it I don't have a team of people but most of my time just about all of my time is devoted to the foundation now but I still have a Facebook page up for the Connecticut Panel Research Society I'm not on it very much so if anybody's been trying to reach me I apologize <laughs> but um, yeah they sent us an email and now there's no guarantees I was going to get the TV show but they liked us they knew that I worked with the Warrens. They knew that I had been around for a little while. So they sent us an email that basically said, we'd like to fly you guys out to L.A. for about a week, and they wanted to shoot a couple of pilot episodes. Again, this was long before the show Ghost Hunters came out, and Jason and Grant were selected you know, to do it. Um, why do we turn it down? I, you know, you know, I had my children at the time, I had twin daughters that were babies at the time. My son was like three or four. Um, my friend had four boys that were under the age of eight, I believe. So we thought about it. We both had careers and, and jobs 
And we just, we thought about it, you know, and, and it was a tough decision, but we decided not to do it. Of course, you know, Jeff, I didn't know what it was going to turn into. <laughs> no one uh, did. Who, who knew that 20 yeah. some odd years later, these guys are still out there. And God bless them, you know. Uh, I had an opportunity and I just felt at the time it wasn't good timing. Um, you know, we both agreed. It wasn't like, hey, Orlando, I'd like to do this. And he's like, no, I didn't want to do it. We both looked at each other. We thought about it for a while. It wasn't a new jerk decision, but we said, you know, yeah, yeah, I really can't afford to take a week off or so and fly all the way across the country. I've got my wife home with the infants. I had, you know, twin daughters, so I had two babies at the time. So, I mean, more of a, a, you know, familial obligations probably. Um, of course, uh, yeah, I had no idea it was going to turn into what it did. I don't have any regrets, though. You know, I, I, you know people are like, oh, do, do you regret not doing it? Uh, no, because I don't know if I would have lasted as, as long as these guys did. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't agree with a lot of things that these shows do. Not, not, from that, not that one in particular, but, you know, a lot of these shows out there, and I know because I've done quite a few of them, the producers... They run everything. They have control over it. And they want to tell you what to say, where to stand, you know, what to investigate, how to investigate. Uh, and I'm like, no. I, I've told them. I, I had HBO wanted to do a series on exorcisms, and they wanted us involved. I said, look. I said, if you're going to stand there and try and direct me and tell me what to do, I said, I am the professional here in this work. I know what I'm doing. Okay. You don't. Uh, one one producer was like fresh out of college. I said, I'm not trying to disrespect you, but you don't know what you're talking about. I said, I, you know, I, so I said, obviously this isn't going to work out between us, so I'm going to back out gracefully. I was as kind as I could be, but you know, they're like, no, oh, no, no, we want you to say this. So we want you to we want you to do that again, and we want you to say it like this. And like, that's not what I do. You know, it's not like they're offering you a lot of money. Not like today. God knows what these guys are making today. But, you know, Jeff, it's not about the money. It never has been. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it never has been. You know, even even my library presentations, yeah, the library will pay me a fee. But there's been times I've up to a, a small town library and they'll say, well, you know, we really don't have a lot of money to pay your fee. I said, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you no because you can't afford to pay a certain fee. I mean, I don't have a set fee. I'm like, give me whatever you can afford. And if you can't afford it and you're, you don't have a budget, some of these small towns don't. They don't have much of a budget. I say, don't worry about it. I'll come anyway because I love doing it. I love to share my stories uh, and hopefully educate, you know, people that in the audience that are into the paranormal. Um, you know, you don't have to, you know, believe hook, line, and sinker or agree with me, but that's fine. You know, but, um, you know, I've learned a thing or two over the past 40 years. Now, there are a lot of paranormal shows on television and streaming now. Do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing for the paranormal field? Well, I mean, that's a kind of a loaded question, but um, I, it depends. It depends. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a bad thing in the sense that the networks are oversaturated with these TV shows. And some of them, some of them are very well done. I've, I've watched some of them. And I'm like, wow, they did a really good job filming this or that. But just about all, all of them are not based factually or, 
the investigation process is not really how you should do, or at least not how I do investigation. For example, you know, all these gadgets, these tech gadgets that they come out with, someone's making these things and making a lot of money selling them to people. I don't buy any of the things. I've never needed them. One of the best pieces of equipment in my arsenal is a, a $30 Sony uh, magnetic tape recorder. I've had it for, oh, 25, 30 years, and I've got a lot of um, um, uh, audio evidence with it. Um, I, I like those uh, much better than I like some of the digital equipment out there. Um, these REM pods, these EMF detectors, and I'm like, well, look, it, unless you use them in a controlled environment, then you've got to throw out any evidence you get with them, in my opinion. So, you know, how many people you know that investigate that will go out and, and say to the homeowner or the business owner, hey, listen, we'd like to get some baseline readings around the home or the business. Can you shut the main power off so there's no juice flowing through this place at all? Okay? And, and you don't have to do it for very long, 20 minutes. You're not going to spoil any food by shutting off the freezer or the fridge for 20 minutes. I've never seen a group do that. I always do that. That's just something I've always done. I've never seen anyone on TV or whatever, um, you know, ask that. And in addition to that, everyone's, what do they have in their pockets? They've got all kinds of equipment in their pockets that's emanating stuff. Cell phones, uh, mm -hmm. walkie-talkies, you know. Uh, and, you know, look, you put a REM pod on someone's bed and it doesn't go off and all of a sudden you hear it go off and everybody freaks out. Oh, there's a ghost. <laughs> no. I, I mean, that doesn't prove anything. I, t I tell people, you probably heard me when I was lecturing, I said, we live on the Earth, which is just one big magnet. It's the Earth's magnetic field that protects us from the sun's radiation. I said, we live in just this one, you know, one big mag magnet. I mean, you know, you could make a compass out of a cup of water, a leaf, and a needle. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't prove anything. Um, but... Yeah, the equipment is neat. I've seen a lot of it. I've got a friend of mine that's got tens of thousands of dollars worth of this stuff. You know, and I just had a chuckle at him. Like, first of all, I can't afford to buy that stuff. You know, but in my opinion, if you're dealing with an intelligent haunting, and it's a true haunting, that intelligent entity, whatever it may be, and I'm not saying it's negative, I'm not saying it's negative, but they will be able to communicate with it. You, you don't need all these cat balls. I mean, I, I don't like the cat balls, except for I'd like to have a bunch of them and put them on my Christmas tree <laughs> at Christmas time. I, I don't, you know, and I don't want, you know, anybody to hate me for saying that. If you love cat balls, God bless you. I just, I don't need them. I don't use them. I don't have these REM pods. I do have an old gas meter that I use. Um, but nine times out of ten, uh, and this just happened in Albany, New York last summer. I was up there for five days working on a case. Um, the gauss meter was uh, pegged. It was, I don't know, 80 milligauss or something. It was pretty high. And, you know, I always say look for a natural explanation. Well, it turned out there was a problem with the electrical outside. Um, the wires were kind of frayed coming into the house, and I don't think it was grounded properly either. So uh, I did a six-page report for for the client and in my report I listed these things he said, one of the first things I would do is contact your local power company have them come out and inspect the power lines on the side of the house he said there should not be any charge for that 
and if they find something wrong, they'll take care of it. I said, in addition, I would also bring in an electrician. They might charge a hundred bucks or so. Have them check all the outlets, the polarity, the light fixtures, make sure it's grounded properly in ter- in- inside. You know, I said, because something is causing these levels to be high on that side of the house. Now, where those levels were high was exactly where the, the secondary power lines came into the house. On the other side of the house, uh, we didn't get anything. So there's always look for a natural explanation, but people, a lot of people want their, want there to be something supernatural so bad that they'll manifest it in their own minds. And the mind is a very powerful thing. If you want to see something or hear something so bad, guess what? You're going to see it and you're going to hear it. Yep. You know, you'll hear it through the white noise. You listen to hours upon hours of white noise. And if you listen to it long enough, you'll hear your name being called. Or if you look at a cloud formation long enough, you'll be able to see Mickey Mouse or SpongeBob. <laughs> you'll, it, we call it matricing. You know? yep. And then you also have, uh, you know, pareidolia. You know, where you're seeing something, but it's really not what you think it is. That's why I don't like taking photographs of mirrors or windows because of the smudges. And, you know, if they're not clean, the light, you know, reflects or refracts off them at certain angles. You know, if you've got something intelligent that has the power to manifest itself, it will do it. You know, so... Uh, that, that's my take on, on it anyway you know <laughs> but people get you know people really get legitimately frightened I've got people that don't want to live in their own homes and like, that's one of my biggest pet peeves it's like you're paying a mortgage or you're paying a lease or rent to live in your home and you know, home is your castle you know I worked on a case in Meriden, Connecticut some years ago two sisters lived there with their families it was a big house uh, duplex um, that they converted to one big house and it was Christmas time, and by the time I got contact, it was getting into the spring and summer. Because I remember, I, I was a, one of my fellow baseball coaches told me, "Hey, I got this buddy at work whose daughters are living with him because they're terrified they live in their house." So I go over there on a sunny July morning, and I remember it was a hot day. I get there around eleven, eleven thirty in the morning, and the two sisters are sitting outside the house. I said, ladies, you didn't have to wait outside. Why didn't you wait inside? You got air conditioning. Like, oh, you don't understand. We were waiting for you to get here. We're not going anywhere. And I said, I'm like, this is your home. And you're afraid to go in your own home? So, you know, of course, I walk right in and get, and I look around and all I see are Christmas decorations. They ran out of that house at Christmas time and didn't come back. Wow. And I guess every once in a while they'd come back. You know, a bunch of them would come back together, you know, safety in numbers, to grab clothing or whatever. But the Christmas tree was still up. It, it was a, it was a, a artificial tree. But the Christmas tree was still up from, you know, so these people were genuinely terrified. So I went in and I brought their, their priest from the local parish. I said, look, why don't we invite Father so-and-so over, buy some pizza, we'll invite him over for lunch and ha- ask him to bless your home. So I said, you know, that's a good idea. So they did that. And the father came over, and I introduced myself. And I'm walking behind him as he's going room to room, and he's blessing the rooms. And there's one room that the little, the little, uh, one of the little boys was in. He was about eight years old, and he was autistic, you know, a beautiful little boy. And we think that that room was like the epicenter of the activity, because he would have toys that would go off on their own, and there were no batteries in it. I, I witnessed it, you know. Uh, I've witnessed that in my own home, 
you know. So the priest walks in that room, he blessed him with the holy water, and then instead of turning around and walking out like he did on every other room, he backed out of the room. And I'm right behind him, so because I had to back up. And then he took two more steps inside the room again, and he blessed it again. He turned around, he looked at me, and he's like, I have to leave. Wow. It looked like he was going to be ill, like he was going to throw up. And I said, Father, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I, I just have to go. It, it didn't, didn't give me a reason. I wouldn't talk about it. He just, he just left. And I was trying to cover and, you know, tell the sisters that, you know, Father uh, wasn't feeling well or something. You know, I didn't want to scare them. No. But I've seen that reaction in, in the clergy a few times over the years. People need to understand that priests are people first. Mm-hmm. You know, and not Father Joe down the street at the local parish cannot perform an exorcism. Only a, a trained exorcist, uh, you know, that's with the blessing of their bishop. Yeah. You know, and exorcisms, like I said, they're very rare. You know, but that word and demons and exorcisms or that word, those words are thrown around these days like nothing. You know, and it's all, in my opinion, it's all about the algorithms. You throw that in your title of your video, you're going to get hits, you're going to get likes, you're going to get views. And I'm like, well, somewhere in, in, in all that mess, there may be a, a handful of families that are really having a problem. And those are the people that I want to, get to find me or someone like me, one of my colleagues, that can truly help them. You know, you don't want to go in there and do more harm than good and start freaking out, you know, if something happens. And then, you know, a light bulb explodes or a glass falls off of the kitchen cat, uh, counter and nobody was around it. Oh, my God, it must be a demon. Like, look, if you had a demon in your house or in your place of business or whatever, you would know it. Yeah. It wouldn't be very subtle. Yeah, it's going to do more than just knock a glass off the counter. I mean, I, I'm Roman Catholic. I approach this from the Roman Catholic view because I was trained by the Warrens who were very Roman Catholic, you know. Uh, but I do work with a good friend of mine in Florida. She's a pagan. I, I work very closely with her. I disagree with her on a lot of things. I, I, I have a whole segment. You've probably heard part of it. I go into about divination and Ouija boards and things like that. Well, in her, in her beliefs, they use spirit boards or talking boards. That's what they call them. Same thing. Ouija board. Ouija is just a brand name. Yep. You know, and it's a yeah, it's just a game. It's a, a cardboard game made by Parker Brothers or Hasbro, their parent company. However, it's the intention on, uh, that you put into that board, that recognition, uh, through your own free will. That's right. It's, it's all about free will and intent. You know, if you're using that board, you know, just to have fun and so you're probably not going to have a problem. Although I. I would advise no one to use these things, but you know, um, you know, I get people in the audience say, "Oh, geez, I used to use one when I was a teenager. Am I going to be okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, you're going to be fine." I said, "But if you're looking for trouble, you're probably going to find it." But Ed used to tell me, "He's like, Joe, these 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 beings, these spirits, these entities, they don't come on your time. They come on their time. Mm-hmm. So 20 years down the road, you could have some serious issues in your life." And I'm talking about. Uh, substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, uh, physical or sexual abuse. You know, people that are in that are uh, addicted to things like even pornography, things like that. Those are the kind of people we call uh, victim souls. 
they're like easy targets people that are depressed you know um, or in severe states of depression they're they're weak they're at their weakest most vulnerable moment that's when these things are, are looking to strike because you're an easy target you know they're not looking for someone like me that's very strong and i'm not talking about physical strength even though i'm a big guy but you need to be strong spiritually emotionally psychologically you know if you got picked up and thrown across the room 20 feet you know you know could you wrap your head around that that's because that's happened and it's happened more than once you know you you, you got to be able to stand up and brush yourself off and say hey is that all you got you know no today do i want to get picked up and thrown across the room again absolutely not but if it happens i'm going to be pissed off <laughs> you know because i'm old now and i got arthritis <laughs> But that's extremely, extremely rare, you know. But it has and does happen. But that's why you don't want to help it by getting involved in any of this stuff. Ouija boards, tarot cards, you know, divining rods, things like that. And there's a lot of people out there that will disagree with me. Oh, Joe, I use those all the time. Well, okay, but you're spinning the wheel and you're taking a chance, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and, and that pretty much took me to my next question where I was going to say, you know, how often do you think you're actually dealing with a demon and not just a ghost or a, a angry spirit or a poltergeist? Good question. Um, very rare. Extremely rarely with demonic. Uh, and it's even rare with ghosts. I mean, you know, believe me, I mean, my, my mom passed two and a half years ago. I would love to see her again. I'd give anything this year, you know, but it doesn't work that way. Um, Lorraine used to teach me this. She's like, she was very gifted. She could see spirits with her mind's eye. I used to interview spirits through Lorraine. Like I would be asking the questions and Lorraine would receive the answers and then Laurel would be writing them down. She would like, you know, take the notes way back in the late eighties and early nineties. But, um, the spirits, Lorraine told me, you know, the spirits of past loved ones, they usually like to enter you your dreams. So you might have a very vivid dream of a past loved one. Uh, and usually those are the ones that you remember. Because most dreams, you don't remember. I had a bunch last night. I can't remember. I just know they were crazy dreams. But that's probably because I was overtired. But, you know, I had a couple of vivid dreams since my mom passed. And... Lorraine would tell me that, okay, that's her reaching out to you is to not scare you. Now, think about it. You wake up at 2 in the morning and go down the hall to the bathroom, you're half asleep, and all of a sudden you turn the light on and you see the spirit of your, your you know, deceased loved one, grandparent, parent. You're probably going to, you know, you're probably going to soil yourself, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, so the, there, there may be times where the, you see the lights flickering or... Uh, something you might have an object move. I mean, maybe they're trying to get your attention, uh, but they're not trying to freak you out and scare you. You know, they just want to be recognized and say, and, and say, listen, I, I know you're here. I feel you. I can smell you. Uh, and that happens a lot where you can smell, you know, someone's aftershave or perfume. Say, yeah, it's my mom's favorite perfume. You know, but it's really your faith. I tell people this, I said, well, if you believe that that's your mom or your dad or your grandma, then it is. Because who's going to dispute you? Who's going to say, who wants to be that jerk that says, no, it's not, you're crazy. 
You know, if it makes your heart feel better that your mom is looking out for you, then, then you know, just acknowledge it. Say, Mom, thanks for visiting. You know, uh, I appreciate I feel you with me. You know, but you know, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't flicker the lights because it's, it's scaring me or scaring the kids or something. And I've worked on so many cases like that where I just empower the homeowner or the family member. I said, this, they just want to be recognized. I said, just, just affirm that you understand that they're there and that they're, they're, they're always going to be with you in spirit. And uh, the activity will stop. And you'll be surprised at how many people say, it stopped. I, I don't see the lights flickering anymore. Or I don't, the water doesn't turn on by itself or whatever. You know, um, I said, sometimes they just want to be acknowledged. And so that they know that you know they're there and they're with you. That's a beautiful thing. You know, yeah, it might be unnerving, but when you understand it, which is a big part of what we do, we help people understand what may or may not be happening, you know, because a lot of this stuff um, may not be happening, and it could be a psychological uh, disability, you know, um, it could be a medication someone's taking, you know, someone that has dementia. I have a good friend of mine here in Connecticut, he was actually in North Haven at the lecture, Bob, he's a dementia specialist, and I have him on my team here in the Northeast because, you know, he's been very helpful in, in uh, instrumental in explaining things about that. It could be just, you know, um, uh, some kind of uh, psychological disability. So that's why as a foundation, we ask people, and I, I ask them before, before I get involved in a case, I'll say to the client, the prospective client, listen, I'm going to ask you some very tough personal questions and I don't want to offend you and I'm not asking you just because I want to know or you know, I'm curious. I said, I'm asking you because you're asking for my help and I need to know the answers to these questions. And these are questions that are like, you know, are you or anyone in your household um, uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol or prescription meds or have you ever been sexually abused or physically abused? I mean, these are questions that I'm even still to this day uncomfortable asking. But when you're trying to get to the root cause, you know, um, you have to you have to ask these questions. Now, most people will be like, Joe, you can ask me anything. I just want your help. But then you get those few people that you give them advice or you ask them a question and they're very resistant. They don't want to answer the question or they beat around the bush and and you can say, well, this person's really not serious. I don't really think they have a problem. And unfortunately, people do that. They'll play games with them. You know, and then once, once they, they figure out that you're on to them, you never hear from them. You send them an email or leave them a text message and then they'll respond. You know, so they weren't really serious about it. Now, it doesn't happen an awful lot, but it's happened in the past. You know, so uh, it's it's not hard for me these days to discern between something that's demonic or if it's demonic you're going to know about it it's going to be pretty bad however you can have a very negative human spirit usually if you're if you're a jerk in life you're probably a jerk when you pass away (laughs) you know and if you choose to stay earthbound to cause havoc you know i believe the way i was born and raised and taught that you have your own free will and that is one thing that God will not interfere with. So when people say, well, why would God let, let, let this happen? You know, so like when someone who is truly possessed, okay, the, 
the demonic entity or Lucifer himself cannot take over your soul. They can temporarily take over your body, but they can't take over your soul because you have free will, and no one is ever going to give their free will to to a demonic entity. You know, but it wants your soul. But you know, so that that's a very rare occurrence, and I've only seen it a few times in my life, and it's not pretty. It's not like you see on TV. You know, that's Hollywood. You know, some of it's similar because they take this from directly from, from true cases. But, you know, the exorcist, Linda Blair, the head spinning around, that didn't happen. They would have killed the kid. Yeah, seriously. You know, I, I don't know if I talked about it at the lecture you were uh, at, but that case the exorcist was based on is very uh, rooted in fact. Um, William Peter Blatty uh, and, and uh, William uh, Friedman, the director, uh, I've seen many interviews with them, and they said they tried to be very true to fact. Some of it was Hollywood, of course. They had spin in the spider walk, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. However, um, the that case, if you didn't know, started with the use of a Ouija board. Um, the boy, uh, Robbie, they call him in the documentary, but his real name was Ronald Ed- Edwin Hunkler. Uh he was a NASA engineer for 40 years. He just passed away back in 2020, about 84 years old. But he was the 14-year-old boy back in 1949 that this all happened to him. But it all started because his aunt, his favorite aunt, was a spiritualist and got him into using a Ouija board. And then she passed away, and he was devastated. So what did he do? Tried to contact he used her. He a Ouija board to contact her. <laughs> You know, and look what happened. The writing on the stomach that you saw in the movie, that really happened to him. You know, some of that stuff, or a lot of the stuff that was in the movie truly happened. You know, but some of it was Hollywood. You know, Hollywood of does course. take a lot of liberties with these things. But that that story, and that, that's like one of the best movies, if not the best movie about exorcism I've ever seen. And that was made in 1973, 74. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the movies today, it's all CGI and all this stuff. Back then, they didn't have it. And look how well-made that movie was. Yeah. You know, and how scary, you know, uh, it was. You know, but that that's rare. But if you... It, it's just proof that if you delve into this, this kind of activity and you want to use a Ouija board with the intention of being a necromancer or someone that conjures the spirits of the dead you're just asking for trouble you know uh, that's why I tell people stay away from them now here in Connecticut we have one of Monopoly (laughs) much safer (laughs) very true causes more problems with families but safer (laughs) yeah 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 I'd rather go to jail or, or you know don't pass go or whatever but at least I'm demon free. <laughs> <laughs> now, what advice would you give to an aspiring paranormal investigator like myself who wants to do more investigations? Sure. Well, great question. I get that asked that a lot. I said, well, first of all, just protect yourself. In whatever faith that you have, um, protect yourself. Uh, be respectful. Um, for those just starting out, try to find maybe a local team 
um, such as our foundation, you know, um, and, and try to join and learn from them. You know, I do I do a lot of educating myself, but again, you know, I'm not vain to say I know everything, but I love to pour my knowledge into people, uh, that those that will listen to me. Um, I would I would suggest that if you're going to go out and do some investigating, uh, you know, respect property, uh, get proper permission. You know, uh, I see all these urban explorers and investigators that go into these uh, alleged haunted buildings because they're abandoned and they look creepy because they're overgrown and dark and all that. But it, it's a safety issue, number one. What if you fall through a floorboard or the ceiling comes down on your head or something like that? Or, or God forbid, there's, there's people living in there that shouldn't be there and they want to do you harm. So you got to think about your own safety first. You know, you could get hurt. Nobody knows you're out there. You're not supposed to be out there. And, you know, you got no self-service. You can't call for help. You know, so just be smart about it. Protect yourself. You know, when I go on a case, I make sure that I'm, uh, I'm absolved. You know, kind of, you know uh, protect yourself. Ed used to tell me a good investigator always carry flashlight and holy water. You know, so I, I have my... Uh, my little kit, that, you know, that I use on every case, it always comes with me. Uh, I have my holy water. I have my, uh, I've got two uh, rosaries. One was given to me by Lorraine uh, about 10 years ago. And one of them, a friend brought back to me from the Vatican that was actually blessed by Pope Francis. So uh, I have some power tools and powerful tools in my arsenal. However, those are nothing but pieces of plastic, pieces of metal, unless you believe it. That's yep. where the faith comes in. Yep. You know, as I said earlier, faith and fear can't coexist. You've got faith in this stuff. You know? But anyone that's just starting out, look, God bless you. You have my blessing. I, I, I was once where you were. You know, I would never um, try to talk somebody out of it. Make sure you're in it for the right reasons. Now, if you're in it just because you're interested and you want to explore, that's okay. If you're in it because you want to help people, well, then you got to educate yourself. Make sure you get educated before you start getting into people's homes. Because what you do and what you say can really affect someone's life. You know, if you go in there, you can actually do more harm than good. Because if something happens, even if it's not paranormal, and you freak out, that's how's that going to make the family feel? So here's the guy I called for, and he goes running out of my house. You know, so... Education is the big thing, wherever you seek it from. Like I said, I'm around, I'm in Connecticut. Anybody can call me or Facebook message me, but I'm not the only one. You know, there's a lot of gifted people out there that can help. We have a lot of them in the foundation. There's, you know, there's people all over the country. Some people have been doing it longer than I have. You know, um, but, you know, just be careful, be respectful, uh, seek proper permission, even if you're going to go to a seminary. Every cemetery I've been to, there's a sign somewhere that says no trespassing after dark or, you know, cemetery closes at dusk, you know. What I used to do, because I used to get friendly with some police officers in some of the towns I used to go to, uh, I would plant the police department and say, hey, you know, guys, do you mind if I... And they're like, no, Joe, we know who you are. <laughs> I'm like, well, here's the car I'm using, here's my license plate. If one of your officers drive by... And if they want me out of there, just say the word, you know, I'm very respectful. Most people don't do that. Or, or call the, the cemetery itself. And, and most of the time they'll probably say no. Because if I do it for you, I gotta do it for everyone. Mm -hmm. But respect that. But a lot of people will go anyway, or they won't ask permission. 
you know, and they'll go in there and wish pack and start drinking and throwing the bottles and cans on the ground, and that's very disrespectful, you know. Um, or, you know, God forbid, the worst thing is when people go in and they damage headstones and they kick over headstones that have been standing the time for 300 years. I've seen that, too. And you can't make those whole again. Some of these stones are so old and oxidized that you can't read the inscriptions on them. Mm-hmm. They've been there for hundreds of years in some cases. And in the blink of an eye, somebody can go in there and just kick it and knock it over and breaks it in half. And, you know, then it costs a lot of money to try to repair it, although it'll never be whole again, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's the best advice I could think of right off the, the top of my head. But it's the same advice I give everyone who asked that question, you know. And um, I'm, I'm happy to help anybody that's interested. Uh, like you said, reach out to me and I'll point you in the right direction or um, I'll say, hey, try to join the foundation or join up. There's a group that I know I'm friends with. They're really good people. Maybe they'll take somebody on, you know. Uh, I don't have a team anymore, so it's not like, you know, hey, you can join my team. Uh, I tried that. It worked for a while, Jeff, to put the honest with you. Some of the people in the group started getting jealous. So how come this one gets to go on this investigation and you didn't ask me, you know? So I'm like, wait a minute, I have three children, I don't need any more, so I'm just saying goodbye. <laughs> I, I, I seriously, I got so upset. I said, look, I said, I need you to help me with research. You do a good job doing research. And that person did. But then finally they'd get the bug and say, well, I want to go on an investigation. You know, and, you know, then you had a lot of infighting. And it, it happens in a lot of groups, it happened in mine. Finally, I just disbanded it. I said, look, I'll just do it myself. Um, so I'll have family or friends help me. I said, I, I can't you know, deal with this babysitting stuff and people getting mad at me because I didn't ask them on an investigation. I said, because I'm responsible for your safety. I'm also responsible for what you do and what you say. You know? So if I didn't feel you were ready, I wasn't involved in the honking in Connecticut case because that happened... 1986 through 88. Ed Warren said, he goes, kid, he goes, I got a case right up by your house, but you're not ready for it yet. And he was right. I had just started. You know, you're probably familiar with that case in Southington, the Southington house? Yep. Yeah, the Snedeker family. You know, that was a pretty bad case, but, but John Zappas and Chris were the lead investigators on that case, so I know firsthand from Ed and Lorraine and, and those two gentlemen what they experienced there. It was pretty hellacious. It was a bad case. You know, but that, that house is 50 minutes from me. I go by it, you know, quite, quite often. And I think about it. But there's nothing there now. I, I, you know, I try to tell people, look, you know where the house is. It's all over the internet. But respect the privacy of the people that live there. Especially around Halloween. That's when everybody loses their minds. Yep. You know, I happened to Norma Sutcliffe when the first Conjuring movie came out. Yeah, people knocking on their door, peeping in their windows. You would just walk right up the door and knock on the door. Hey, can we come in and take pictures? No. <laughs> I'm at home. You know, I mean, people are just so brazen. You know, you know, I have no, no class but to do that. Yeah, the person oh, that I investigate... There's, there's a long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> the person that I investigate with, uh, my friend from high school, Jen, always says that too. Be respectful. You know, they were once human too, so show them the same respect that you would show any other human being. And I I definitely have taken that to heart whenever her and I go out. 
Yeah, I mean, any you know, anybody can go out and investigate. You know, just you know, if you're really into it, and you really want uh, the experience and, and to get the knowledge. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. You know, just be careful, be respectful, and be careful. And if you get it, just know that if you're in over your head, there are people that can help. People like me. You know, uh, you know, but some people are just too proud to say, "Well, I can hit it, so I don't need any help." Well, then you know, God bless you. It's just, uh, you know, I worry about those people, and I worry more about the people they're trying, supposedly trying to help. You know. Now, have but, you ever been touched or scratched on an investigation? Have I? Yes. Oh God, yes. Um, I've been punched, scratched, bitten, burned thrown across the room I mentioned earlier I was on a case in Shelton some many years ago first case that was really bad and uh, I was pushed and pulled almost simultaneously so I don't know if it was like two entities at once but I was 360 pounds six foot three you know bench pressing 600 pounds you know that means nothing when you're up against something like that physical size and strength has really nothing to do with this work you know and i got thrown about 10 to 12 feet and my right shoulder play i, I mean i left my feet i my, and, and listen casper the friendly ghost doesn't have that kind of strength or ability <laughs> this was something dark and sinister and i knew it you could feel it and uh, i've had a, a two same case a two liter bottle of soda that Three minutes ago, we were out in the kitchen. We were sitting on the counter. Came around the corner from the kitchen into the living room and clipped my nose. And, you know, it didn't hit me straight on, but it clipped my nose as it flew by and smashed up against the wall. So much that I, I got a, I had a nosebleed. You know, it, it, it caught me pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I've had cases where I've been scratched uh, where to the point where it drew out blood. And surprisingly, maybe an hour later, the scratches were gone, but the blood was still on my shirt. Wow. Now, go, go figure that. That's what we call psychic slashes or psychic scratches. So they, I guess they're really there, but then they disappear, but the blood was still on my shirt. That's what happened to the guy on the Annabelle case, the guy that taunted Annabelle, the girl's boyfriend, he threw the doll across the room. So you know nothing about a stupid rag guy who can't hurt anybody. And seven slashes across his stomach and his chest appeared. And he had blood on his shirt from, from, you know, from the, the wounds. And then the wounds disappeared later on. You know? I mean, this is fantastical, I know. Most people are like, oh, yeah, that, that, that couldn't have happened. Well, look, you can believe whatever you want, but I'm here to tell you, I haven't been doing this for 40 years to sit around and lie to people. You know? <laughs> You know, it was no fun, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, uh, I've been beat up a little bit. But Ed used to say, he's like, you know, kid, he's like, if you take a tiger, uh, he goes, you got a tiger in the cage in front of you, you take a stick and you poke that tiger in the face one too many times, what's going to happen? It's, it's going to fight back. Yeah. I mean, you know, so my advice to people that, you know, people want to come hear the lectures, hear the stories, that's great. You're fine. You're not going to bring anything home with you. But, you know, for those people that go, oh, I could do that, you know, think twice. <laughs> you 
think twice because you know it's all fun and fun and games until someone loses an eye, right? Like the old saying says. Or gets hit by a soda bottle thrown by something oh, that we can't see. I, I still remember like it was yesterday. I was I was terrified. People were like, well, weren't you scared? I go, yeah, I'm human. <laughs> I don't have a big S spray painted across my chest. I'm human. <laughs> I'm just a mortal man. You know, I, there's nothing special about me except that somebody, people have to stand up for these things. And um, the negative things I'm talking about, and they don't like it. They hate us. They hate us because we're all, in my you know, religion, we're made in the image of God. And God also made these things, though. So they have to obey their creator, whether they like it or not. So we have the upper hand, which is like it goes back to what I said about faith and the fact that in my in my life, faith and fear can't coexist. Because if I have my faith, what do I have to fear? I got God behind me in my corner. That's all I need. I might get beat up a little bit, but God, these things can only do what God allows them to do. So they're on a very short leash. You know, I mean, they are very powerful and they're nothing, nothing to snicker at. But they're on a very short leash. And, 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 and a lot of that information I get from, you know, Catholic exorcists, the real exorcists, like Father Gary Thomas, and Father, Father Chad Ripperture, and Father Stephen uh, uh, Lampert. These are Catholic exorcists that are active today. You know, not, not, not the clowns you see on television. You know, throwing holy water around. I command you, no, no, no. It's not I command you, it's I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to go to the foot of the cross and accept your punishment. You know, I can't say, I, Joe Frankie, command you. They're going to laugh at me. Like, who's this clown think he is? But no, if you invoke the name of God or Jesus Christ, uh, it, it needs to listen to you. It has to, because God gave us all the, the authority to cast out demons. But I wouldn't go looking for them. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, our family dog recently passed away. Do you think animals have the ability to remain in a, lo in a location as much as a human does? Uh, my belief uh, that um, animals have spirits. And I've, I've had many, many stories. People told me where they've lost a, a, a beloved pet and they still feel the pet around their ankles or jump on the bed. I firmly believe that. But yeah, I believe animals have spirits and they can come and business you know um i all i ask people is to have an open mind you know but, you know don't immediately dismiss something because you've never experienced it just you know even if you don't believe or how if you're an atheist it's like well you have to believe in something i mean how do you think we all got here did we just patch somewhere you know it's like the story which came first the chicken or the egg like, well, it was the chicken. Well, how'd the chicken get here? Well, it hatched from an egg. Well, how'd the egg get here? <laughs> Came from a chicken. You can go round robin for forever. You know, but I just asked people, I said, all I ask my audience is, look, have an open mind. Is it possible? Is it, it, you know, a lot of this stuff I'm telling you sounds fantastic. And, uh, some of it's unbelievable. I get it. I didn't believe it all at first either. But, you know, after almost 40 years, I'm like, ah, yes, there is something just have an open mind if someone's closed-minded nothing no evidence i show you or nothing i say to you is going to change your mind and i'm not trying to do that but then i would ask and i've had people like that at my lectures i said well why did you come tonight 
you know, well, I was just curious. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. I'm not trying to change your mind, you know, but listen to what I have to say. Maybe you might think differently when you leave here. And if not, we can still be friends, well, you know. But is it possible? I believe it is. So. Now, speaking of having an open mind, clearly you believe in ghosts, but what are your thoughts on other elements of the paranormal, like aliens or cryptids? Yeah, good question. Uh, I believe that Bigfoot exists. Actually, Lorraine actually communicated with Bigfoot uh, years ago. She told me the story. I mean, I wasn't there, but uh, I believe, uh, you know, I'm not so vain as to believe that we're the most intelligent species out there. You know, I believe that aliens could exist, UFOs. There's just too much evidence to the contrary. You hear about this reported by our own government and our own military about, you know, uh, occurrences that, that have happened all over the globe. Uh, so, I, yeah, I believe uh, a Bigfoot can exist. I find it kind of strange that no corpses have been found, but there's just been too many sightings. Uh, I believe the Patterson tape is real. I look at that thing, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at that from 1967 or whenever that was yes, taken. Yeah, uh, 67, 68, something like that. Yeah. You look at that thing. There's no way that's a man in a costume. And, that, and that's my opinion. You know, but, yeah, I mean, if, if think about it, Jeff. If we, if we can exist, why can't something like a picture exist? Mm-hmm. You know, dinosaurs existed. We've got proof of that. You know, but I've never seen a live one. That's where faith comes in. Faith is believing in things that common sense tells you not to. And I take that from the movie Miracle on 34th Street. And I've always remembered that. You know, think about it. You know, if you, if you have faith, you believe that things are possible. You know, even because, it, just because something's not tangible doesn't mean it's not there. Look at air. We breathe it. It keeps us alive. But can you see it? No. Can you feel it? No. Well, you can smell it, maybe. If there's you know, an odor in the air, but, you know, you have to believe in those, those intangibles. Um, so, yeah, I definitely believe in that kind of stuff. Now, do I believe in things like skinwalkers? I don't know. Uh, the jury's still out on that. Again, you know, I, I don't want to contradict myself. I say I do have an open mind, so maybe. But those things are more more from folklore and stories passed down from, you know, I don't know, Indian tribes or whatever, but yeah, I guess, uh, you know, they could. Aliens, I mean, now they say there's aliens that live on the far side of the moon. Yeah, is it possible? Yeah, sure it is. You know, uh, I don't go looking for them, but Bigfoot has always fascinated me. Uh, UFOs, but... You know, I see these videos on TV and you see something really quick or you see these light patterns and, you know, no one could explain it. And I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. But then the video ends and it's like, well, you need more context. You know, um, I go outside of my deck and look up. I don't see anything. You know, I don't, have, you know, I see these cryptids that people seem to catch with their cameras walking through the woods or whatever. Yeah, Maybe. But no one's caught one. No one's found one. Mm-hmm. No one, you know, unless the government has them in Roswell, they, they claim to have bodies. Maybe they do. <laughs> but they're not going to share that with us. It might cause a panic. But, yeah, I believe. 
Now, you talked about being down in Orlando for Megacon. Were you surprised by the turnout for your events? I was. I, I mean, my friend Bill Slevin, who's a regional director for the Florida area, southern region, really, Georgia, Florida, and the Carolinas, he lives in Florida. And um, he had gone to the Megacon last year or two. And he has his own team down there called the Paranormal Existence Research Society. And he's pretty well known down in that area. And Bill's like, Joe, you, you and Laurel have to come down this year. And he's invited down by Bill and by the people that run Megacon. And they gave us about five tables. Uh, I only needed one, but Bill had all his equipment. So he, <laughs> he needed like three tables, and then Bill's wife has her own little, little business where she sells things and she paints things. Anyway, my point is, he, Bill's like, Joe, if, if they had charged us for these spaces, it would have been about $20,000. So, you know, I paid my own ticket, I, you know, my own way to get down there, and they didn't pay me for the event, which was fine. We did it for the exposure and the experience. And I tell you, we were flooded with people that wanted to talk about the Warrens. Because I have, I have a, a, a tapestry with my picture with the Warrens and everything. And people know the Warren name. I mean, uh, I actually found out that I'm more well-known than I thought. But, you know, um, that was nice. And people came, oh, Joe, I've seen you on TV. I've you, heard you on podcasts. I'm like, oh, that's really nice. You know, and... A lot of the questions that you asked me tonight were the same kind of questions that people were asking. What were the people, were the Warrens like as people? And then I, I fortunately had my wife with me who could help speak to that because she knew them as people. And Lorraine and Laura were very close. Um, of course, she wasn't in on all the facts about cases because once the children started coming, my wife got out of uh, <laughs> out of it. You know, um, but. Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was something I've never been to. To be honest with you, I've never seen so many people under one roof at one time. Uh, to walk across the floor from one side to the other took about 15 minutes, and I'm not even exaggerating. Because you had just flood streams of people going in every direction. And, excuse me, pardon me, sorry, you're bumping in. <laughs> uh, and then you know, because Bill and I did some panels, we did some 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 lecturing me. and I remember Bill's like yeah we're gonna have to leave about a half hour before it starts I'm like really he's like look at all the people I'm like yeah good point <laughs> and it took us a good 15 minutes or so to get into the room and these panels these rooms were you know maybe like 20 30 times the size of the room that North Haven had they were huge they, I think they held 500 people and there wasn't a seat to be had wow you know, there was, you know, I've, I've spoken to 30 people, I've spoken to 3,000 people. It doesn't bother me, I'm not, I'm not sure, I should probably guess by now. But I I don't stand up, you know, or sit up on stage with a microphone. I don't like that. I've got a big voice, a big mouth. Uh, I walk amongst the crowd, I interact with people. It's just my style, it's just the way I do it. Because I said to Bill, I said, Bill, forgive me, um, but just how I, I do it, you know, because I... I don't lecture with someone else very often. And he's like, Joe, don't worry about it. Now, Bill, on the other hand, is a little squeamish about talking in public. You know, he's getting much more comfortable with it, but he's like, no, no. He goes, I'll just follow your lead, you know. Uh, but I love talking about what I do, and people had some great questions. You know, some people had some tough questions that I didn't want to answer publicly because they had to do with certain 
things that were said about the warrants or items in the museum. There's certain things I won't mention in public because that would be disrespectful to to the family. Mm-hmm. You know, I would never do that. But um, then, and then after we would finish, um, it was a f- usually 45 minute panel. Then I'd get a flood of people that would come back to the table, and I loved it. I loved talking to people, but hey, I, my voice ran out. <laughs> And I'm like, Bill, can you come over and talk to this nice gentleman? I have no more voice left. <laughs> a lot of fun, though. I'm looking forward to it. They've already invited me back next year. So. Well, that was going to be my next question, if you would ever consider doing something like that again. So I'm, I'm glad it went really well. As the, podca- as the podcast is getting ready to wrap up, you know, we've talked a lot about the paranormal. Tell us something interesting about yourself that has nothing to do with the paranormal. Recently retired. I retired after working for Comcast for 30 years almost. Um, I retired due to medical reasons. It wasn't because I wanted to retire. But uh, the silver lining to that story is in allowing me and supporting me time to work more with the foundation. Um, black belt um, in, in Taekwondo. Um, I haven't done it in many years because I've got titanium knees <laughs> I've got um, I had full knee, knee replacements when I was 47 years old uh, I, I, I assume that's what you wanted to hear stuff like that yeah um, you know uh, but you know I enjoy a, a lot of things um, uh, I enjoy you know going to the gym and walking doing, going on walks with my wife riding a bike you know normal things I tell people I'm just a normal guy with an abnormal hobby <laughs> you know um, not everything is paranormal um, to me, but uh, you know, some it always kind of works its way into my my life. It's a nice uh, conversation piece when you meet somebody, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just a normal guy. You know, no, nothing to be afraid of. I'm not gonna you know I'm a boogeyman. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to wrap up today's interview. If anyone needed to contact you or the Warren Legacy Foundation, what's the best way to do so? Oh, well, you, you can go to warrenlegacy.com. Uh, reach, uh, you can reach me through the website. You can reach me through the Facebook, uh, Warren Legacy on Facebook. Uh, you can reach out to me personally, Joe Frankie. I'm on Facebook. That's Joe, um, F-R-A-N-K-E. My email address is jfrankie at warrenlegacy.com. So uh, if anybody needs help or has any questions or just wants to say hi, you know, please reach out to me. Like I said, I'm just a normal guy. I love to talk to people. Uh, if anybody has any questions or anything about the Warrens, uh, I'd be happy to, you know, set any rumors straight. You know, it's the best that I can. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, being on your show. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a real pleasure, and I definitely want to have you back on the podcast again sometime soon. Sure. I, w- I would love it. I, I have a podcast, uh, if you don't mind me mentioning. Uh, it's called Passport to the Paranormal. Uh, I do it with my friend Heather. She's, she does all the legwork. I'm just, I just show up and talk. <laughs> but um, move it to today. So, yeah, Passport to the Paranormal, um, we do it. And there's also a Facebook page uh, in the same name. Um, so if you're interested, you can listen in and hear more of my creepy stories. I definitely will uh, be listening to that one. All right, Joe, thank you very much. 
Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you soon, my friend. Have a good one. And a special thanks to Joe Frankie for this wonderful interview. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more interviews and more special content just like that. So again, check out Joe Frankie at the Warren Legacy Foundation if you have any questions. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and have a good one, everybody.